Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts. Well, welcome everybody to the Slingshot Group podcast. I am Vance Martin, your host. I am here with two of some of my favorite human beings on the planet, David Miller, who, if you don't know, he's our vice president of coaching. He's a pretty big deal. And uh, Keith Robinson, our lead uh, senior. senior associate of communications. That's um, that's so fancy. Official. I love you guys. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how ministry can negatively affect your children. This is the PK dilemma. Uh, and really at the core of this is how can we raise kids who don't hate the church? The struggle is real. As they say, the struggle yeah. is real. And Vance, you know all too well. I do know all too well. So uh, I am the resident PK here in the bunch. Um, I had a really interesting childhood because, so when I first w- was born, uh, my family were evangelists. Then when I was uh, five, my dad went into local church ministry, became a pastor. That was most of my childhood. And then when I was 12, Mm. went back on the road as evangelist. So for me as a kid growing up in the church, as a pastor's kid, I remember, um, I don't remember much about my dad being an evangelist the first time. So most of my early memories are of being a pastor's kid. I remember every Sunday morning, you know, we'd get up at 7 a.m., get ready as a, as a family. We were at church. There was always something to do, a job to be done. There was a task list. It was work. And so mm-hmm. all of my memories around church, it was it was hard work. And I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Um, but there was also never by my parents directly this pressure to perform. My mom and dad were very strict. Uh, they were great. I love my mom and dad. Uh, but as my mom would say, uh, you know, we better walk the straight and narrow. And there was no, there was no deviating uh, right or left. And a lot of that was driven. Okay, so I'm not going to assume what my parents' motivation was. But looking back, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and see what it feels like. So a lot of it was they wanted me to be a, a good Christ follower. But a whole lot of my behavior modification was because I was a pastor's kid and that was the expectation of them to have well-behaved kids. The church is watching. Don't mess this up for us. It is. You literally live in a glass house. You, I remember walking in the grocery store and, and you know, me and my brother, I have a younger brother. We'd start acting up, having fun. And my mom would have this thing where she'd like grab this part of my shoulder and like pinch. Yeah. And the it would like, and pinch. yeah, the Vulcan, and it, and, and it was, you know, you better straighten up. <laughs> and it was because somebody, somebody might be watching, yeah. you know, yeah. on the, on the other side, what we did as a family is we were children's evangelists. So that meant we would come into a church. My dad would preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night through Wednesday night, we would do family services. So Sunday night through Wednesday night, after the service was over, we'd go out to dinner with the pastor and his wife or the pastor and his family. And to me, that's when the real ministry happened. 
because mm-hmm. I got to see firsthand how other pastors' families behaved, and I got to see the pressure that they always, they, without fail, maybe not on Sunday night, but starting on Monday night, this pastor and their wife or their kids, they begin to just pour out their hearts of the hurt, the pain, all that they're going through. There is so much immense pressure put on pastors and their families that it's no wonder that pastor's kids either take one of two paths. It seems like they either go straight into ministry, go to Bible college and you know become the heir apparent or they go straight to hell. <laughs> you know, there is no, it's, uh, I mean, you know, do, yeah. do you, have you guys seen that in, in the church? Yeah, I, I think that for me, I have, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the old tale. It's like, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, you're a pastor's kid. Whoa. You know, yeah. there's, there's gotta be look something. Out for them. Yeah. Look out, out for, for the, the pastor's, pastor's kid. Yeah. There's something that that's underlying in that, um, in, in that vantage point of being the pastor's kid. And I think what's been fascinating to me and what I've unofficially tried to study, um, knowing that I was, you know, going into ministry and would be having kids is, you know, I think my, my original question going in was, is every pastor's kid going to be messed up? Like, are my kids, do they have to be messed up? Do they have to have the pressure? Do they, do they have to see all of the negative and 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 have that season, whether it's a long season, a lifelong season, mm-hmm. or or a short season, um, of just really raging against the church, or or am I going to be able to um, create an environment where my kids love what's happening in the church? They understand yeah. that that dad works for the church, but they don't have the pressure or the um, uh, the, the the eyeballs on them where it makes them feel like they have to be something that they're not. Uh, I, I think for me, what I've started to realize in watching a, a really good friend of mine, I watched him with his kids. As I was growing up, I was an intern at his church um, and was able to kind of just tuck away some of the wisdom that I was able to witness. And, and, and for him, uh, he was just great at letting his kids um, be kids in yeah. front of the church mm-hmm. and sure. in the middle of Be human. A, yeah, exactly. In the middle of a service, his five-year-old would, would act out or, or, would, or would try and get up on stage or you know any of the things that kids do. That's my dad up there. And they don't know better necessarily. And, 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 and he just let some of that stuff happen. He allowed there to be room for them to, to, to be a little bit of a disruption or to be a little bit of a, um, a punk sometimes even. Oh my gosh. Yeah. David. David, can I just have a vulnerable moment? I please. While you're saying this, it's stressing me out. <laughs> I'm getting so stressed out. Why? What about this it? Pastor's kid, and that's what I'm like. Why the heck? Because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that kid should not be doing that. Yeah, How that in the kid world? has to be perfect. If anyone's what? gonna not run on stage, it's- it should be that kid. In church, we're trying to be so buttoned up and so polished that our kid being the distraction, as kids inevitably will be. Um, is, 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 is a complete non-starter for so many of us. And so I think that the things that are, that are pushing, um, the, the PK dilemma is the fact that, that they're held to a different standard. I think, you know, just to kind of land this plane with you guys, I'm sure most of the people that are listening are in ministry and possibly have kids. Uh, I'm sure most of you do. We have been, all of us, um, the three of us, 
in ministry in some capacity in the past, all been pastors. We all have kids. Um, so I think the biggest question is, yes, pastor's kids are under a lot of pressure. It's hard being a pastor's kid. It's hard being in a pastor's home. How, how do we break this cycle? How do, what are we doing right now as leaders of our homes, um, you know, to help, help our kids live a, a, I'm using air quotes. You came to a normal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's, there's something about just when you're actually able to put your family first yep. and it's something that we tell all the people that attend our churches. Right. But it is such a difficult thing to do because we're not in a job that you clock in and out of. We're in a job in ministry that we are on call at, at all times. And, and there has to be intentionality. And I'm, I'm excited about uh, the rest of the episode and, and conversations that we'll be having um, really looking at how to do that well, because here's here's the bottom line. Y- you are in ministry now. We we want at Slingshot Group it to be an, a healthy and amazing experience, not only for you as the leader, as the pastor, but but for your family. And so if we can start to break yeah. the stereotype and move away from the, the, the PK dilemma and start moving toward um, healthy and thriving and vibrant families of, of people in ministry, I, I, I think that that, um, that entire narrative can start to shift where we can look at someone and say, uh, like, wow, oh, oh your, your mom, your dad was a pastor. Yeah. That's incredible. Like that, you that must have been an incredible experience, rather than oh my gosh, your parent was a pastor. Uh, what was that like? So with my kids, you know, having this kind of this feeling that I don't, I don't want my kids to have the same pressure that I had. Um, I think the secret sauce, if you will, into raising kids that break this cycle is not that much different than raising just kids. And I think it comes down to their identity. So for me, my identity as a kid was first as a pastor's kid. It was not as a Christ follower. It wasn't as um, even really in a lot of ways, a son. It was, I was a pastor's kid Hmm. and what that meant. And so for my kids, I want them to stand firm and at the end of the day, be confident in who they are in Christ who their identity is, their where their worth comes from is not what somebody else thinks about them or the standard what uh, uh, that they reach. That is not where their value is found, but it's found in that God created them. They are his, they're unique. And no matter what outside things, whether they're in ministry or not, that their worth is solely connected to the bedrock of I belong to God. I'm his, and that's all that matters. So good, man. It's the difference in either you parent to to modify behavior or we parent to water the soil and the roots because we think we can control the fruit, but the fruit is what comes when we work on the core and the soul of our kids. Behavior is the fruit of something Mm -hmm. deep within them. And so for our kids, we have to work on the core of who they are and let the let god take care of the fruit the fruit will come and so behavior modification only that that only that's seasonal it's it's the core of our kids that we have to reach
Welcome, everybody, to the Slingshot Group podcast. I have a really good and old friend. Not that you're old, but you are getting old, man. David David Russell. He's probably one of my oldest friends. We've known each other forever. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, man. It's glad to be here. Hey, David, tell everybody real quick uh, a little bit about you, where you work, what you do, who you are. Oh, man, for sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on and excited to be a, a part of the podcast today. So I am a uh, the digital director and online campus pastor for Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And that's my, my ministry role. Of course, my primary ministry is my family, uh, married to my wife, Missy, for 15 years. And we have three kids, Andrew, Abby, and Asher, who are 11, 9, and 7. We're about to enter the middle school years. Uh, and uh, you, we, buddy. I, I know I need some advice from you, my friend. <laughs> That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here on this podcast today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a support group, actually. You guys are just exactly. listening. Everybody's just listening to our support group, basically. In, in, our, in our mutual therapy group experience, hopefully others yes. will benefit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So basically, David's a pretty big deal. So we're glad that you're here. You are, man. You're a pretty big. You have to be determined for sure. The jury is way out on that one. I don't know this verdict's going to come back in my favor. (laughs) So just to give all of our listeners out there a little bit of background, um, David and I, I mean, your family was kind of like an extended family. Your parents. 100%. You're growing up, your mom and dad were like aunts and uncles. You and your, your your brother and your sister were cousins. So when my parents were evangelists and we were traveling around one of the, when I was very young, probably like actually saw, uh, I remember seeing in, in, in our family albums, like these Easter pictures. I'm, I'm like four or five. I'm so young, but we're with yeah. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah. So, I mean, it's literally, a, we would, you know, when we, we would probably come to your church every year, do a kid's crusade. It seemed like yep. when your, your dad, uh, was a pastor there in Dothan mm-hmm. and M- Montgomery before that? Did it start in Montgomery? That's right. Exactly right. Montgomery when we were super young kids and, uh, and then uh, actually Birmingham for a few years. I think you guys did some crusades there and then in Dothan. So we were, we were in a few different cities growing up and, and we were, we were friends all along. Honestly, some of my youngest memories involved. Yeah. Uh, I just you guys. So yeah, I just had this thought. There's probably a lot of people that are like, what's a kid's crusade? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we back away back back in the day. It was kind of yeah. like a kids' revival. Uh, <laughs> it's Sunday, <laughs> Wednesday night. You know, we would yeah, do kids' yeah. services, so that's what a kids' we, day did. Anyway. So, so we we both grew up PKs, and uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because you've got a unique position. You grew up at PK, and now you've got a house full of, of PKs, and we're talking about the PK dilemma. Uh, on the podcast and how it kind of seems like PKs, they, they, when they grow up, they either go straight into ministry or straight into trouble. And uh, <laughs> yeah, right. one of those two directions. Very true. And uh, I, this kind of hit me really hard. When I started having kids, ministry changed for me. It was just like a totally different paradigm. Cause like what you said in your introduction, you so clearly said that you're, you know, your, your dad first and a pastor second. I think you said yeah. that cause we're on this podcast though, David. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I've, trust me. I've been thinking for months about how to introduce myself. <laughs> 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 no, I've always thought that our, our first ministry. Totally. Is it's the truth. Family home. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David, talk to us a little bit. What was it like, 
Um, and both of us have our, our dads growing up weren't lead pastors. They were associate pastors. They were both children's mm-hmm. pastors, but PKs nonetheless. What was it like growing up um, as a PK for you? Well, I think, you know, for me, I, I really didn't know anything different. You know, so I had friends at school who would talk a lot about what their parents did. Uh, and sometimes it was hard to relate, you know, having a friend whose dad was an accountant or whose mom worked yeah. uh, in, a, in, a, in an office, you know, environment or, you know, whatever it might be. And so we would, you know, the, the only real, you know, I, I mean, I could see obvious differences between, you know, kind of the way they were being raised and the way we were being raised sometimes, especially if it was they weren't being raised in a Christian home. But so many of my friends were also established in churches because we did grow up in the South that there was a, a fairly common thread. So it, was, it wasn't terribly unusual for me growing up, at least in this part of the country, where when I said my dad was a children's pastor, um, people sort of understood it and got it for the most part. And every now and then you meet someone who, who just was like, what is that? Or what, or what, are, you, what are you talking about? Or mm-hmm. what's your, That was pretty rare. So I never really had any kind of problems with like acceptance or anything like that amongst you know, peer groups. But even from like a lifestyle standpoint, I just didn't have, you know, because it was the way we grew up, I really didn't know, yeah. you know, much different. And I would say even probably into my adolescence and maybe even early teen years, I wasn't really even fully aware of how difficult ministry was and is, uh, or in those days was from, from my parents and some of the challenges that they faced. And they probably did a good job, in a sense, shielding us sure. from that, you know, for a long time. Yep. Um, and so uh, I, I really had, I didn't really have a lot of challenges with it, um, for me at least, until I was really kind of later, you know, moving out um, of that uh, instance, uh, sheltered environment. I don't think I was overly sheltered in any way, but, you know, obviously my parents had certain expectations and taught us in certain ways to... Um, you know, to try and keep us out of, of harm's way, keep us from sin, keep us from the world and things like that. <clears throat> but, you know, like most PKs, there's that question mark of, well, what am I missing? You know, then yeah. what's the, you know, what's what, what, out there in the world? What is out there? And why was I shielded from it? You know, in a yeah. sense. And I don't know that I ever in my mind said that, but it was a feeling for sure. <clears throat> so for me growing up, though, I would say I, overall was a very positive, you know, experience. In fact, toward the end of, my sort of teenage years, there was a little bit of a movement to kind of take care of PKs, you know, because there was this awareness of, yeah, exactly. Um, and I can remember my dad saying, man, I wish we had, you know, I yeah. wish we had that. Or my mom grew up in a, in a, in a pastor's home. I wish we had that, you know, when we were growing up and my, my dad's uh, dad was not, we really didn't know the Lord was not, when it's not ministry and, um, or he, he didn't have that context. He actually got saved as a, as a kid. But my mom grew up in a ministry context, too. It's like, I wish we had PK retreats. You know? So, I mean, there, there, there were things I think there were kind of advantages, in, in a sense, too, um, you know, growing up in that, in that way. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, and I, but I faced some things, too, um, as a kid. And, and, and really, the, the, I would say the, the challenge I remember most was the feeling of being in a fishbowl, you know. Totally. That, that, Everybody's that, looking. Everybody's watching. That, you know, stuff at home wasn't always flawless, but when we got out to the restaurant, or boy, got, it better be flawless. Got, you better get your act together, son. You know, like, and I can remember kind of this almost this habit of putting a mask on, and um, and and it wasn't really until later in life where I realized that both 
both how that's good, uh, and, and there, there are actually good reasons uh, for for that, but also bad, right? In that you can kind of get in the habit of tucking away things that yeah. uh, aren't as good, and you might not be ready to admit it, you know, in a totally. safe people. And so, anyway, so I can actually see the good and bad in that. But I would say, by and large, I would I would certainly, if I step back and just say, what was childhood like? Very positive. You know, it was not. I, the challenges that I had and the things that I saw as, you know, struggles or things like that were not overwhelming. You know, they were, they were certainly aspects that affected me that I had to kind of contend with later in life, but they were, um, but overall it was a wonderful home, wonderful upbringing. Uh, and, and it, and it, and it established my identity in Christ, which is the most important thing. And so totally. when I did, you know, we can talk more about this later if you want, but there were some moments later in my life that I veered away in college and tested those things out. And, um, my anchor, um, you know, held and, uh, uh, and it opened up, uh, you know, the door of opportunity for me and my own you know, ministry later in life. So anyway, let dude, let's, let's dive into that. So I want to hear all the juicy stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you had that anchor, uh, but, but things for you, you know, being raised in a pastor's home, um, and I think our our parents were very unique, maybe not very unique. They were they were pretty strict and on us. Like we had to walk the line. Like if I tried to rebel when I was a kid, my mom wouldn't let me. Like you know, you know, they just that you, you're not going to rebel. That's not going to happen. It's not. You don't even think about it. It's not a part of the picture or even in the thought process. How did how did you how, how did that tension play out in your life where you know the truth you're raised in church you were raised a certain way what was it that pulled you away talk talk about that struggle of knowing the truth probably but it, wanting to experience the world well I think you know for me I got saved at a really young age I mean I was six when you grow up in a children's pastor pastor's home one of the distinct advantages is your dad professionally knows how to present the gospel to children. Right. <laughs> like it's like but somehow it's, know when they're lying as well. <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, the spiritual gift of the sermon. Yeah. Totally. So um yeah I, I think I um I I, I don't know I, not to get too therapy session about but I don't know if there was an aspect of hey get get you know get things in order and look good in front of you know in front of people and sort of get this mask of everything's okay um, on, I don't know. I don't know if there was that or if it was just, you know, the, the, the standard sort of lure of the world. Um, but for me, you know, getting saved at such a young age, uh, growing in my faith, certainly, um, understanding, you know, who Jesus is and, and what he did for me. I was baptized at age 12 and, and, uh, had some really unique spiritual experiences in my, in my, in my teenage life. In fact, I started playing guitar when I was 14 probably one of the best things that's ever happened to my life is, is, is learning music, which got yeah. me into the worship band at church. And, and it, and it, and kind of, it kind of took my faith from, a, well, probably even a childhood interpretation in a sense of faith into a growing sense of my own role yeah. in your contribution. Yes Christ, yes. Christ has saved me, but then it was like the great commission started becoming real to me, that I actually had a role to play in helping others come to know Christ. I could see that certainly in a, in a, in a, in a way when I was helping my parents in kids ministry. And, and it was very exciting to, to see other kids, you know, come to Christ and things like that. But I don't know how much I grappled with the real gravity of that until I was totally. more of a teenager, you know? And so 
playing in worship bands and uh, youth band and things like that, I, I really had some um, opportunities to lead and opportunities to see people's lives change and young people get, you know, come to know the Lord and get closer to the Lord through those experiences at church. And so I actually had a lot of things that really should have kept me, not just, not just in the, in my spiritual identity on Christ, but even in a practical sense, like just being in ministry was, was fun. I mean, it, 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 it was, we were at church. I mean, it, this was like, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday there. night, you know, if there were crusades, if there were, you know, homecomings, if there were week, whatever, special weekends, special events. Uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't even really like play baseball. Like we didn't, there wasn't we didn't time to, yeah, yeah. In the world, <laughs> the church, the church softball team was good to go. Yeah. But we just, yeah, we really did. You see, we really didn't. We just weren't really. And so on some level, I think, um, I just, again, I just didn't have any other really context, um, for what, what, you know, um, maybe what other people experienced in life. And so when I went to college, re- honestly, it started for me Vance in high school. And my parents were, my parents were actually not strict. They were, they were a bit more um, permissive in certain areas, maybe than some of the other kind of parents and and even staff at the church would be with their kids. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, you know, I think on some level, this was a positive thing. For instance, musically, there was a, uh, you know, move back in those days, no secular music. Yeah. Uh, and I, I understood it. And even, even to this day, uh, there's not a lot of secular music in my own life. Um, because, you know, especially now that praise and worship is kind of replaced in a sense. The Dude, I got to tell you, the fact that yeah. when I went to visit and you were playing Nirvana, I thought you were backslidden <laughs> then. I mean, I was really, I was yeah. interceding on your behalf and you didn't well, even actually, know it. Yeah, and actually Nirvana was was on the ban list. So I, I, was, I was, I should not have been listening. Yeah, that was, that was a clear... Uh, I, it was interesting though because when I got into music, you know, one of the things that my my dad introduced me to Chet Atkins, who's a famous country guitar player, and then I discovered Stevie Ray Vaughan, who's a famous blues guitar player. And I had never seen people play like instrumental guitar. It blew my mind. I was like, "Wait, you can just play guitar? You don't have to sing. You can just play." You don't need the rest like, of that dead weight around you. You can just exactly. stand in the spotlight and shred. <laughs> so attractive and appealing to me. So a lot of my musical odyssey, which did end up later becoming, you know, bands that uh, probably did not help my, my walk with the Lord. Uh, but it was, it was, for me, it was music. It was, that was the draw. And, um, and so, but also in that same season of life, I got into, I was in the band in middle school, but I, I didn't play in the band in high school and kind of had switched to guitar and got in the theater in high school instead. And the theater crowd was just a different, different crowd and um, just had a lot of different influences. And that was my first opportunity to, to take a sip of alcohol and, you mm-hmm. know, smoke a cigarette. And I know you can't believe in Vance, but, you know, it, I'm it shocked. You know? Disappointed. <laughs> shocked and disappointed. Thank you for your shame. I feel <laughs> <laughs> um, But it was, but it was, it was the crowd. I mean, it was a hundred percent. It was just hundred percent of the exposure, you know, to, things that I obviously would very unlikely have exposed in the, been exposed to in the, in the church world. Not impossible, but you know, yeah. anyway, much more likely uh, with the, with the crew that I was hanging out with, but I'd also become friends, you know? So I had this kind of this church, you know, side mm-hmm. of thing, but then the, in this dabbling, it wasn't, and, and man, I was convicted by all these things. I, it wasn't like I was just like, all of a sudden I was off, you know, in left field, but it was, 
it was just this sort of taste and see almost type of a process. And it wasn't even really much of a struggle, to be honest with you, because I'd, I'd kind of pray through those things and go, you know, well, Lord, I, I don't feel like this is, you know, for me. And but then I'd have to go back to school the next day. <laughs> so I'd see the same people. Yeah. And it kind of, and we'd be, and, and we'd be doing a theater project. We'd be doing something where there was this goal in mind. And so there were good, there were good things about that. Um, what we accomplished in, 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 on the stage. And I learned a lot about technical arts in those days too, and sound and lights. And so there were, there were some actually very positive aspects of that. So it's hard to want to throw the, you know, you know, throw out the good just because of those few bad experiences, but it kind of became a thing that I would just start wrestling with. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I mean, kind of pushed away from that crowd, felt like, you know, I wanted to start playing in church and, and it really became a, a almost like a, a, just a slight out of band season, you know? Yeah. But when I went off to college, I was all of a sudden, I was completely unsheltered now. Like I was not in the bubble anymore. You're on your own. Yeah. Not the fishbowl. He didn't even know me where I was. So in high school, there was a reputation, but in college, I had no one knew who I was. I had zero. New man. Reset, in a sense, very much new man. And so the first couple of years I was in college, um, man, I went the wrong direction. Just, Just straight up what happened. Um, And actually, God did put some, some good, uh, godly people in my life. And I eventually uh, stumbled on a, a phenomenal church that really was instrumental in, in changing my life, you know, and really helping me recommit yeah. uh, my life to Christ, which is eventually what happened. But but for the first couple of years I was in college, I, I lost my way. I never lost my faith in God. Um, but there were months, I would say months, you know, that went by without prayer, without the word. I mean, I, sure. I was, it was, it was the, it was the, the biggest pit of despair I've ever found myself in ever. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never go back there obviously, but, but I think, I, I think God let me in a sense experience that. And I think being out from under my parents, um, accountability structure in a sense, and, and yeah. that sheltering, it was, it, it, for me at least, it ended up being a blessing. Now, while I was going mm-hmm. through it, not, you know, I, it could have absolutely, I could have just kept trudging down that path and probably ruined my life, honestly, yeah. in the process. Um, but thankfully for me, bottom, you know, was, was, uh, in that kind of pit of despair. And I found myself one afternoon, um, on the floor of my apartment, just, you know, wrecked. And I I knew, Mm -hmm. I knew God had more for me in my life and that the direction I was headed was just wrong. It just was not, I knew that's not where God wanted me and flipped on the TV. And there was a pastor by the name of Jimmy Evans, who still has a, a thriving ministry, uh, in Texas to this day. He was talking about marriage. He was just on, I think it was TVN or one of the Christian channels. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was talking about marriage. I wasn't even married. I was in college. I wasn't even thinking about that. But he was talking about living a life on purpose and a life of integrity mm-hmm. and purity mm-hmm. in the context of marriage. And all of those things like were exactly what I needed. Because yeah. here, here I was living, in a sense, a false life. I mean, I had this totally. reputation in my hometown and a completely different reputation in my, in my co- mm-hmm. in college. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And I kept these two communities almost, you know, separate from each other. Good thing Facebook didn't exist back then. You oh, would have been in big trouble, dude. You'd be done. Uh, dude, I would. Exactly. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I've actually made that remark quite recently that I'm glad I didn't have to deal with social media. We're coming up on our 20-year high school reunion. Oh, my gosh, man. And it's in June. I honestly, it, I still haven't decided whether or not I'm going to go, honestly, because um, I just, I don't know. There, it's really, it would be, it's got to be interesting. Um 
It's going to be interesting. Uh, One, any way you look at it, it will be interesting. <laughs> there'll be some who look at me and go, oh, that makes sense. And there'll be others totally. who go, what? <laughs> he said, what? That dude can party like nobody. I mean, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so. But um, yeah, so ultimately God, um, thankfully, uh, used used a, 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 a televangelist, you know, really. That's a, wild. A, yeah, and, and it, the, what he was preaching on, I needed to hear. And I just, I, I was in the floor of my apartment and just started weeping and, and, and came back to the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I'm sorry, you know, pray, pray for him to forgive me and to uh, give me a chance to, to move on. And within a year, uh, I was called to full-time ministry. And, um, and around that same time, I, I found a, a small church uh, meeting in a high school in Birmingham, Alabama called Church of the Highlands. Found it through a, through a, dating relationship that I had at the time. My girlfriend's family shifted from their church over to this this church plant. Never heard of it. I didn't even really, Vance, this is crazy. I grew up in ministry. Didn't even really know a church could be planted. I never really thought, where's a church right. come from? They I, just, I, they I just exist. Part. I guess they're always part of the denomination. <laughs> exactly. They just appeared on street corners magically. Yeah. I don't know what I thought. But um, <clears throat> yeah, in the end, um, just had no idea, but God was orchestrating some accepts for me and in my calling and, and ultimately with my family, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that dating relationship ended. Um, but, but God led me to, to this church, church of the Highlands. And, and, um, and it was really a part of my spiritual journey, uh, in my own calling into ministry, uh, which was important for me because I think, I think some PKs and maybe even some pastors who, who are, who are, you know, parenting kids, PKs, um, have this sense of, uh, inheritance, you know, or something yeah. or like you just, you just follow in the footsteps of your father. Mm-hmm. I never felt that my parents never gave me that pressure. It was yeah. never, you need to be either. for me, my parents, my parents just, whether, and I don't know how intentional it was, but it was just constant exposure to ministry. I was just constantly in ministry environments and they were having fun with it. Like it wasn't a job. I, I never right. saw Like I could remember them up till two and three in the morning, sewing, uh, puppet stages, you know, together, oh you know, for big, you know, some big event or a camp or something like that, summer camp or something. And, and they're not complaining. They're just, they're having the, they're, they're having fun. And I'm like, and so we'd, we'd go and put on these, these experiences and these kids would be jumping and going crazy. And I thought it was just amazing how my family was essentially creating these experiences for people to, to really ultimately experience God. Like, and so I, just growing up in those environments, um, I think, was a, a huge part of what ended up being my own calling. But my calling was unique to me. I, ne- I never once felt God say, because your father was, a, was in ministry and your mother oh, has a shall. wonderful, rich legacy. Yeah, it was not that. It was David. I've got something for you. And your life is meant to do this. And I could see it with my own eyes, God calling me to ministry. And... Um, it actually happened for me in a in a at an outreach event in Montgomery, Alabama, Convoy of Hope. This would have been I don't know 2000, I believe it was 2001, and maybe maybe in the year 2000 actually. Um, but anyway, um, Convoy of Hope prayer tent. At the end of this outreach event, I mean, people are helped and given haircuts and groceries and just yeah. all just all kinds of love. It's a great experience, and then optionally at, at the end of the day, they could sort of if they want to visit and, and really get the goal of it was spiritual uh, help, which is, you know, the best help we can provide people. Um, and they'd come in we, about every 10 minutes, we'd kind of rotate through the gospel message and 
we play a you know worship song and um i remember it was who knows how many 15 or 20 of these sets that we had done all day long hot and sweaty but i can remember um in one of these moments uh a family of four came in a father mother and two children <clears throat> and they sat around the front row and it's kind of a small space so i'm i'm playing but they're they're really only about 10 feet you know in front of me and they're sitting on the front row and the gospel's presented and the pastor gives an invitation for anybody who wants to come forward and receive Christ to do so. And I can remember it like it's crystal clear in my mind as it happening. I can remember the I can remember the, the the color of the sunlight inside the tent. I mean, like it's that wow. vivid. Yeah. <clears throat> the father stands up and walks to the altar. And then the mother, his wife, stands up and follows him essentially and stands beside him. And then both kids get up. And it's like I can see it, this father leading, in a sense, he's accepting Christ right. for himself, but in the process of receiving Christ himself, he's leading his family to the Lord as wow. well. So profound. And the Holy Spirit said, this is what your life's going to be about. And uh, that's that's all I needed, you know, wow. for me. Um, and so I've just positioned, I've just, every door that's open to me has been in a position where I've been directly connected to people coming to Christ. And even though I'm a technologist by passion, I'm a minister by calling and I've just, I've just been blessed to be in environments where I can scratch the, the passion itch yeah, while I'm calling, but I'm, 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 my life is about people coming to Jesus. And so that w- that was a cementing moment for me. I, Vance to this day, ministry is not easy and I still get burned out. <laughs> I still get yeah. on the edge. You know, I still get, those questions of why in the world am I doing, you know I mean? You just like Are we they all... hiring at Home Depot? I need to find out. I would I have... just, can, can I, I so just many... stock lumber? That I sounds so... fantastic. hundred percent. I'll take anything. I have so many dream jobs that do not include ministry. <laughs> but no, I, I, I go back to those moments. I actually go back to my, my childhood, you know, being baptized, some of the spiritual experiences in my teenage years, the, the moment in college on the, on the floor, of my apartment, recommitting my life to Christ. The moment God called me to full-time ministry, the moment I saw church in the Highlands for the first time and like yeah. this church plant <laughs> and then 800 people show up in a high school. And I'm like, I didn't even know, first of all, this was possible. And then, and then all of a sudden there's this favor and I, and I couldn't explain any of it, but they're yeah. anchor moments for me. And so even, even, even when I'm challenged today, now at age 38 and even after, you know, 15 16 years, I guess, now I've been doing this full-time ministry thing. Um, I, I still have to anchor myself sometimes in those moments and remember, just like Samuel did in 1 Samuel 7, you know, the Israelites were in this state of confusion and they had turned to other gods, which was exactly what my my college life was, essentially, effectively turning, you know, God had done so much in my past, had brought me out of the wilderness already, and yet I'm, I'm back into a state of confusion yeah. because I'm I've turned away from him and Samuel charged the Israelite nation said, turn away from those idols and turn your hearts mm-hmm. back to God. And, um, they were crying out to be delivered from the Philistines and he knew they needed to be delivered from their yesterdays before God would ever deliver them from their Philistines. And so that was, that was my college prayer was I got to get over my yesterdays. But since then God's given me victory over the Philistines that have come against me in my life. But I, I have to, just like Samuel did the voice of the Lord struck with a mighty mighty thunder the philistines were thrown into confusion the israelites chased them uh, uh all the way to beth car uh from mizpah to beth car and and so they and they routed a man and, and, and scripture said that samuel 
And it basically led to a lifetime of peace uh, for the Israelites during Samuel's life. Mm-hmm. But that was what he did in that moment was established an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance. And he said, hitherto the Lord has helped us. Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And he charged the Israelites with remembering what God has done. And so for me, that I didn't even really know how much that that was happening in my life um, or how much how important it was for me to go back. But there are stones of remembrance in my life that I go back to now that, that really anchor me. But so many of those come from an environment that my parents created. Yeah. Totally. Um, did they get it right all the time? No. <laughs> um, did, did I get it right all the time? Of course not. But God gave grace for those gaps, you know, in, in their, you know, parenting, which I didn't even really see, you know, or know, honestly, probably a lot of it. But I, if they were on here with us, I'm sure they would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm experiencing gaps in my parenting now with my kids. Yeah. But I'm watching God fill those gaps with grace. Yeah, well, I think, you know, part of it is ensuring that your relationship with, you know, with your kids is really healthy. And I know one of the one of the tensions that I have to manage in my own family life is just that 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 busyness factor. Right. I mean, there's as much ministry as any one person can possibly handle. And so if you you know, if you go after it, you see got ministry opportunities, you will find them there at every at every turn. And so there is this, there's an importance to understanding that busyness, honestly, busyness these days is almost like an, it's almost like people wear it like a badge of honor. You know, they, they, they're almost like, well, I'm just, I'm just so busy and things are just moving so fast. And, you know, and and it's great. I mean, handling so much, whatever, that's fine. But at the end of the day, to me, it's more about like, what, what are you working on? Like, what, what are the things that you're achieving? And and I think some pastors can kind of get caught up in that same trap of busyness. But the, the problem is that a lot of times the, the price you're paying for that busyness might be in, in your relationship with your family. Like if you're not careful, Absolutely. you're going to sacrifice your family on the on the altar of ministry or the altar of maybe even just, just the simple fact of being overly busy. <clears throat> so I think the main thing first is just uh, to realize that, you know, as a pastor, I, I own my schedule. I, I control my schedule. I'm the one who's... Yep who's, who's uh, responsible for what's happening on my calendar and who I'm meeting with and when, and how, what, how many hours a day I'm, I'm, I'm using for, for what purposes in, in my life. And if I get maxed out and if I've got tension in my family and they're seeing, they're, they're not seeing me at all because I'm in the office or I'm, I'm out, uh, you know, seizing ministry opportunities. And that's on me. It's my own fault if I've maxed that out because I'm in control of my schedule. In the same way, I'm in control of my my budget of of money of, of finances at, at at our home, you know with our home with our family. I'm responsible for how I spend my time, which is way more valuable than than money, right? So I just have to I have to one of the tricks I've done is I just actually set some intentional times in my own schedule. Mm-hmm. that are for me. So like, I mean, there's an appointment on the schedule that's carved out and maybe a couple hours or whatever, but I know I need to get some things done or I need to even think, or I need to, uh, you know, pre- prepare something. Um, I need to set that time aside for me. So I know that I'm getting what I need done. So you just book uh, an appointment for you. Like absolutely. Carve it out. Make, asks, make sure yeah. I'm booked. I'm, yeah, I've got an appointment. Asking, Sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly how it works. And, and it becomes a real, um, protection in a sense, because there are things we need to accomplish. And when we're constantly in meetings or we're constantly in, um, you know, even sort of, again, ministry opportunities, whatever it might be, we might spend our entire day in meetings and then have to go home to do the email. 
you know, to, to, to work on a message, to, to finish a project, whatever that might be. And so I just try and keep those times very much contained within the workday. In fact, one of my friends uh, really helped me with this kind of rule of thumb around the times of day. So there's, there's three sections of every day, month, morning, afternoon, and evening. And as best you possibly can, invest two of those three uh, times of the day into your ministry. Make sure that at least one third of every day yeah. is devoted to what I would say, what I would call focused attention on your family. Which and is a big difference sitting on the couch yeah. with your computer, watching a show with your family. That's right. not, that's not focused energy. No, no not, <clears throat> not one bit. And, and so have, but even just thinking about that helped me tremendously because there's times when we have services at night or I might be at a conference or I might be whatever. And, and there are obviously exceptions to the rule. I don't get this flawless 365 days a year, but as a rule of thumb, it's helped me to know yeah. when I'm pushing too hard and it's been two or three days <laughs> since I've been, you know, since I've been with my family, I've, I know I've been, I've missed, I've got, or I got a reset. Something's not quite right. It's, it's just a gauge to even when, yep. when you can feel something's off to reflect back. If I've been at least investing a third of my day into my family, so it's a good, it's even a good measuring, not just, hey, in the future, but as to give an account, like you were talking about, our, it's a, time is a resource, just like your money, you reconcile your bank account, reconcile your calendar and look back and right. say, right. something feels off. How is my, how have I spent my time this last week? Have right. I, where have I invested it? Because that's where yeah, you're going to get the fruit. Well, I think there's, while there's nothing scriptural about, you know, the, the, that, that particular, um, rule of thumb, I will say some pastors probably do get caught up in a reality of they're running their churches around them. Like the, yeah. all of the ministry of the church centers around them, falls around them. They're responsible for it. They're, uh, they're, they're and I don't just mean responsible because obviously uh, senior pastors or are the highest spiritual authority in any church organization, but I'm talking about like they're in the weeds mm -hmm. of every ministry situations going on in the church. Instead of obeying what Scripture says, when it, it describes pastors' role as uh, we, it's, it's our job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I ask yeah. myself that question a lot of times, man, if I'm stressed thin right now, is it because I'm not empowering someone else on my team to accomplish something that, that maybe right. not only are they ready, but they're willing? <laughs> and maybe they're not even ready, but a little trial by fire never hurt anybody. <laughs> you know? right. I, mean, I, know, <laughs> I know you learned the same way I did. You know, it's like it, it helps a little bit to have a little heat um, to, 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 to learn those things. So I just think we have to kind of get that back sometimes. Uh, the, the, you know, and understand that, Hey, ministries, uh, for the body of Christ exercise, the church is, uh, is, is multiple people. And let's, let's do our best to make sure that ministries done that way. I like that you mentioned the laptop thing. Cause that'd probably be one of the other things I would just add is just that your smartphone is, is it's, it's both a, um, yeah. it's both something that's brilliant. The your, gift it's like, curse. It's like, yeah, it's like your best friend and then your worst enemy, <laughs> like yeah. at, at, almost at the same time. And so we can use it to uh, enhance relationships and to get things accomplished you know, faster and that kind of thing. But we really do need to avoid using it just as much as possible around home and family. Like e even if I am, I've, even if I am texting someone or I do feel like it's something ministry related, now I can do that at seven o'clock p.m. on my couch at family time. <laughs> you know, if I'm not careful, that stuff can kind of creep in. Yeah, uh, and it's rare to find somebody texting, you know, family during the day, you know, while they're or you know, as it's it's crazy how that that happens. But I would just, and yeah, so it goes back to that focused attention being actually different than just attention or just presence, which is not enough today. 
It yeah. has to be a focus of energy. And by the way, my kids, they, they tip me off to this all the time. They're, 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 they're sort of like letting me my know. My kids do too. Dad, so, get yeah, off yeah. your phone. Yeah. <laughs> Either subtly or not so subtly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I think probably the only other thing I would say about this is that I'll, and I'll just speak personally because I, I don't, I don't know how much this is a problem, but I know for me personally, I let the Sabbath, uh, be compromised far yeah. too often as a young ministry leader. I, I actually don't know that I really understood the value of the Sabbath until several years ago. And actually it was a message from our pastor mm-hmm. on a Sunday that wrecked me. And I actually, I realized that my approach to rest, um, to a weekly time of rest was really not, not right. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't, it wasn't as good as it could be. And I wasn't always letting go of yeah. uh, those things that were being driven forward. And even, even my mind would sometimes be racing with ideas in the time when I was supposed to be resting. And so, um, I reset that, uh, um, a few years ago and, and actually kind of set it up, um, where I, I have an off day and then I have technically like a weekend day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, those two are, it's actually Friday and Saturday. So for me, those two are interconnected. I know a lot of pastors take off on Mondays, uh, which is great. It doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is how you leverage, yeah. uh, that day off and what you're doing with it. And to be sure that you're not doing anything for your own personal gain to do, be yeah. sure you, You've disconnected as best you can. I think technology is a big reason why Sabbath rests get compromised these days. Mm-hmm. But we're working on Sundays. So Sunday is not the Sabbath. I think that was probably one of the bigger challenges I had to face. It's like, yeah, man, Sunday's not Sabbath. You can't, I cannot. 100%. Exactly. And so figuring out, man, I have to really take advantage of the day that I have that's assigned to me as an off day, a rest day during the week. And I, I, I know there are pastors, because I've talked to them, who are working six days a week. Yeah. You know, and they're taking one day off um, and they may, they may need to, to, to adjust their schedule uh, to have more of a, a, either a weekend or a Monday, Tuesday or whatever, whatever it have, it helps you have to work with your church and your staff. But I think, I don't think we're aggressive enough is what I'm saying. Well, it's yeah. a holy thing that, I mean, yeah. it was a commandment. Remember right. the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right. I think the thing is the church and ministry is a noble cause. It's so easy to, to write that off you know, to chalk that up in the, I'm doing good. I'm doing well because I'm doing ministry. I'm helping people. I'm serving people, but at the expense of what your own well-being and your family's well-being. I mean, That's right. I, and that was, that was my, my journey when I hit the wall, you know, at a church and experienced burnout, I wasn't keeping the Sabbath, keeping it holy. I was mm-hmm. certainly wasn't focusing on my, on my family and myself because it's so easy to make this excuse wow. of I'm working for God, not with God. And because ministry is a noble thing. We can write it off in, in our minds. I'm, I'm working today. It's just, a, it's just an email. It's just an email. It's right, right here on my phone. It's just right here, but that's not keeping the Sabbath holy and it's not honoring your, your family. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I think it, we, it's easy to forget how much it benefits us and benefits our family. And of course, most importantly, it honors God, right? Yeah. Um, but, but he gives that to us. He gives that rest to us as a gift. It's not, it's not something that we can just overlook or, or just, you know, pass by in, in our, in our zeal for, for ministry. You're absolutely right. It's, it's almost too easy to excuse it. 
Yeah. So I think those are a couple of practical things that have certainly awesome. helped me along the way. I don't get that right all the time, Vince. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying. What? I Come on, I'm man. You know, you bro. Don't. Hey, I got wrecked, man. A couple of years ago, um, my youngest son, they asked him uh, to write a letter about, uh, you know, what he's looking forward to, you know, this summer. And he, he basically like in his letter, he, he kind of, he called me out. Like he wasn't trying, he was, he was, right. he was five at the time. Yeah. But he basically said something to the effect of, I, I hope I get to see, you know, my, my daddy more often wow. kind of a thing in, in a, in a way that just my wife, I mean, Missy showed it to me and it, it broke me, man. It's just, mm-hmm. messed with me. and it was just, it was the right hint. It wasn't a hint. It was the right. <laughs> it was a subtle hint with a two by four. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. It was, it was, it was the two by four to the face that I needed to go, Hey, is, I'm I'm saying this and I'm co- I'm I'm helping other pastors learn these things and I'm missing it myself. And so um it's never perfect. But and again, yeah. God covered that grace too. And of course my, my my little buddy Asher and I have a have a great relationship. And don't you know I spent a whole lot of time with Asher oh, yeah. that, that summer and every summer since and, and all my kids. But um but yeah, it's um got, if you if, if you're ever uncertain, you know, ask your kids. I think it's okay to ask your kids how are you doing? Hey, what you know, yeah. what, you know, it's okay. And, and they'll tell you, you know, um, and you'll know. And so, um, I don't know if that's helpful, but hope, hopefully it is. I know, th- I know those are Good things stuff. I learned for myself and now a much, man, there's such a rhythm to life yep. in ministry. There's such a, and, and, and anytime it's off track now, these, these are, these are little things, these rules of thumb and, and ideas are things that just help me. I can sense it in the family and I can adjust, you know, yep. versus there's probably a lot of people who don't even know how far removed they are and totally. they need to have conversations and communication with their spouse and with their kiddos and just, uh, how am I doing? You know, ask that question. It's good, it's good to ask. So anyway, I, I don't know about you, but the older I get, it seems like the more I value, uh, something that Stan Endicott, who's our founder, he's been saying this a lot lately and it's been kind of sinking in. He, he uses it in context of when he's coaching people. And I think he's telling us these stories, but subtly coaching us, but something that he always says to people is to go faster, you have to slow down. Mm. And I think the older that I'm getting, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing that and, and understanding the value of that. When I was young, I wanted to just go in, in ministry. And it was like, like you, were, you started off talking about, like it was this, I wore like this badge of honor, how busy I was, how many few hours of sleep I got last night because I was, you know, working at the church. And, and now, now, Maybe I just need more rest because I'm older, but I know I can run fast. I can get more accomplished because it's not just being away. It's my mind is sharper and that's how God that's right. created us. It's yes. it's operating in the flow of how God created us as human beings, recognizing we're not made for work all the time. We're made for rest. We're made for work out of rest. Mm-hmm, and, that's right. and, and so many times we rest from our work, but you know, uh, God started creation. He started his work, but he wasn't doing anything before it. He, he, he was rested and ready. He didn't rest on the seventh day from what he mm-hmm. rested to then wow, now lead over and, and be sovereign over the world. And so, you know, if God needs rest, uh, I do too. And that's something I, I, I think, I think I'm a little, I'm God sometimes and I'm invincible and uh, I'm not. So those are good words of wisdom, David. Thank you so much. I know that's going to be helpful for people. And 
Guys, don't don't guys and girls, don't neglect your family. That's your first ministry calling. Those little PKs that you have running around, they're going to be amazing. I'm just speaking life into them right now. They're going to be world changers. Uh, but uh, we have to we have to do we have to honor the resource that God has given us. So, That's thanks, good. David. Uh, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to to stalk you online and learn about David Russell? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't post it. I'm a technologist and, um, my, my main social media uh, account profiles on Instagram. Uh, so, uh, at David underscore Russell uh, is a good way to, to check that out. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well at David Russell, uh, more sporadically. Um, but, uh, but also just follow us at church of the Highlands. I think if there is a, a place where, you know, pastors can, you know, can, can learn and grow. It's from other, it's yeah. from other pastors and from other yeah. contexts. And I know that work that you guys are doing at Slingshot is, is super critical, um, you know, in coaching pastors. And, and so finding, you know, groups like, like what you guys are a part of there and, and other churches that do it well as just models, you know, uh, from, for ministry and lots of, there's things that I glean all the time from people I never thought I'd learn from, but it's just being, you know, being a student, being a, a learner, and seeing everybody, I mean, I'm learning stuff from literally the interns on our team. Like I'm asking them questions. What do you think about mm-hmm. this? Like social media advertising, how, think, who, how all kinds of topics, you know, just, just to learn and glean from, uh, from even the next generation. I'm not, I'm not too, um, not too proud. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's crazy. If you're not willing you can to learn, learn, if you want to hundred percent, a hundred percent. So mm-hmm. I'm happy if anybody wants to connect with me, uh, my email address is my last name, Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, at churchofthehighlands.com. Feel free to shoot me a note and uh, be glad to uh, reply and and, uh, and 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 help in any way that I can. And and uh, again, Vance, thanks, man. I, I'm really humbled to even have the opportunity to connect with, with you good. for you to op- open up my, um, you know, me to your audience and provide me access to kind of speak into their lives. So for everybody listening, just... Um, just thank you for your time. It's it's been a it's been a been an honor to be a part of the uh, the episode today. Yeah, this has been time well spent. Thank you so much, David. And uh, you and I are going to be talking more. I'm looking forward to digging back into our old friendship, and hopefully, we'll see you soon, man. I'm I'm down, bro. Let's do it. Looking forward. Yeah. To it. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life, and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan. So there's such an advantage to growing up in a little village where everybody knows everybody. And there was a tradition that we had at Halloween where you would dress up in a certain costume and you would go around. There's only like 50 houses in town. You go to each house and they would try to guess who you were because they knew all the kids. And they go, are you uh, Lyle Endicott? I bet you're Lyle Endicott's boy. And, you know, then you'd have to take off your mask and it was just... So small town, you know. Yeah, There's a little little diner there uh, and had two pool tables in the back of it. As a little kid, when I was 10 years old, I started playing pool, and I got a little bit better and better. And uh, I started when I was about 13 or 14 getting pretty serious about it. And uh, there was a guy in town 
His name was Heavy Etheridge. <laughs> he was about 6'4". He could kick anybody's butt in the county, and he drove the fastest cars. And everybody was afraid of Heavy Etheridge. But he had a, a soft heart about him. So uh, one day, I'm, I'm playing pool, and uh, Heavy Etheridge walks in. It's like, you know, The Rock walks in, you know, like, or John Wayne or something, you know. It's like everybody. It, it's, so Heavy comes up. There's like four of my buddies were playing. And he goes, hey, uh, come here. My name is Stanton. And so the people in that town know me as Stanton. And uh, he says, Stanton, come here. He goes, I've been watching you play. If you learn how to play leave, you could be really great. And what he meant was great pool players can look at the, the balls on the table and they'll, they'll know the next seven shots where they're going to hit the ball. You were looking that, that far in advance. Uh, he said, let me show you something. So he showed me some things. My buddies are watching this happen. So he walks away. And he was the best pool player in the county as well. And my buddies are like, how did he know that you played pool? And I can't believe it. He knew your name and he liked you and all this stuff, you know. So I go, I don't know why he chose me. but And so that started this relationship with him. So he would be up there often and, and teach me and teach me and teach me. He asked me to go to a pool tournament with him. And so I go, well, I have to go ask my dad, you know. And so I went home and I said, Dad, heavy asked me to go to this pool tournament with him. He did, did he? He, he must think you're pretty good. I go, well, I'm not going to play, but I, he just wants me to go to ride with him, which I was scared to do because he would, you know, speed limits 55, he'd drive 85, you know, because it it, that's just who he was. And my dad said, as long as you're with Heavy, I don't care where you go. If you're with him, my dad knew him well and knows he's a, actually a kind guy, but he's the roughest guy in the county. So Heavy would take me everywhere with him to play pool. Now, when that started, one day my dad took me in the back of the, his store. He said, I got a present for you. And he handed me this box that's about three feet long. And it looked like a, 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 either a rifle or a BB gun was in it. So I opened it up. It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't Christmas. I opened it up, and, I, and it was a case that it contained a professional pool cue with my name engraved in ivory on the side of it. I still have it. I'll show it to you sometime. And the great lesson for that was that my dad knew of my love for the game, and he wanted to bless me out in front of, before I would ever ask him, I know that you would probably love this, so I wanted to give it to you. That's a totally a, a God thing, you know. But Heavy Etheridge is the first guy that ever believed in me as a young kid and took interest in me. You know, that's been 45, 50 years ago. And last summer, I had the privilege of talking to his wife and telling her, that, you know, how much... Because I used to hang out at their house all the time, too. But why he chose me, I'm not sure, except that he saw something in me that he wanted to embellish. But Heavy Etheridge, man, I'm telling you, he's the first guy that ever mentored me. So I love that. Love that story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org 
to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.